that okay? So if you do have your Bibles and you want to follow along as I read, Matthew chapter 11, three verses, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, this morning, just as Joe prayed, may your word go out this morning doing the miraculous work that only it can do to, to sanctify, to challenge, to convert, to convict, to cause rejoicing by saving unbelievers. Lord, let it do all that you desire it to do this morning. And Lord, may all come to know this great rest and this yoke of the one who is gentle and humble in heart so that all may behold our God and come and adore him today. Amen. So these three verses here that we're reading are in a portion of Matthew where opposition is rising to Jesus's ministry and even disappointment for some about the kingdom of God. Jesus was not really the kind of Messiah many people expected. Just before this passage, John the Baptist wants to know, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus says, this generation wants to reject me whatever I do. Then Jesus denounces with woes all the cities where he had performed his miracles since they didn't repent but rejected him. And then as we come to our verses for this morning, Jesus declares that for some all is hidden and for some it is revealed. Revealed is the true meaning of Jesus' teaching, the unfolding messianic age, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and that no one can properly know about the true kingdom of God, the Father, salvation through his Son, unless it is revealed to them by divine choosing. So as we come to our verses, he had just praised his Father for hiding the truths of the kingdom from the wise and intelligent, but revealed them to little children. And he wants those who labor and are heavy laden to come to him for rest, to take the yoke of the one who is gentle and lowly in heart, to learn and find rest for the soul. Many, many sermons have been preached from these three verses. It's probably because they are very inviting to us humans, the invitation of rest 
to those who are labored and heavy laden, probably many in this room, it sounds great. And in these verses, Jesus gives an autobiography of himself. Jesus says he is gentle and lowly, gentle and humble in heart. What these three verses are is a basic presentation of the gospel. So that is what we will hear this morning. Now this is about the call to come, who should come, how does one come, what will happen, why it's a very important invitation, and who are we coming to. So, the call to come and who should come. Some may have heard this in other church settings where the preacher says, we'll soon give an invitation, meaning an invitation to come to the front or raise a hand to receive the Lord and his forgiveness for sins. And the first part of our passage this morning is a similar invitation. Come to me, Jesus says, come to him to receive him and his forgiveness. But of course, it's a heart issue, not a raised hand or walking the aisle. It's by faith alone. There are many who refuse to come by faith alone, even though they have the scriptures. They think just knowing and following them gives them eternal life, but no. One must come to me, come by way of faith alone to Jesus to have life, eternal life. So here's the main point this morning first. Do this. Look at our text this morning and make it for you, first part, come to me, Jesus, but then go one more word, all. Make yourself part of the all. Come to him like a trusting child to his parent. That is the only way. The one who says, come to me, Jesus, says this. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. Now, what is it about these all? What are they like? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So can we find anyone who has not yet come to him, to Jesus, who doesn't labor and isn't heavy laden? No, because they are not at rest. They haven't taken the yoke of Jesus. They haven't learned. There can be no rest without coming by faith to Jesus, to believe on him, his offer of forgiveness for your sins because of his sacrifice on the cross where the wrath due you was instead upon Christ and thereafter one lives the repentant life no longer living for yourself but for him who died for you and was raised again. Absent that, all will continue to labor and be heavy laden. This is, of course, the way Jesus means it here. You are going to labor tomorrow at work, at home, and you will probably feel heavy laden at some point or the whole time. So Jesus isn't promising that will be gone, rather when a person rests in Jesus, 
there will be a radical change in your life and future. You will be a new creation in Christ. So, let's start with our foundation. Since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then all labor and are heavy laden with its consequences. People will labor in different ways. Often, on the one side, are those trying to be as good as possible about their standing before God, and on the other is often those saying, sin is not sin, evil is good, I do what I want, so who cares about God? Unlike today, it was many of the Jews at the time of Jesus, the Pharisees in particular, who were trying to keep the law in all its detail, concerned about pleasing God in their future before him, lots of laboring to the point of being heavy laden, burdened, trying to avoid condemnation. And we know this laboring has extremely unpleasant results in being very heavy laden because Jesus says so. After he speaks of woes to the Pharisees for their pride in their law-keeping, he turns to the lawyers of the law who have expanded it into detailed minutia. He calls it a burden, hard to bear, grievous. And since it won't lead to spiritual rest, being right with God, forgiven of sins by faith, Jesus says they've taken away the key of knowledge with their traditions of men. They've hindered their hearers from entering into God's salvation, his rest. Paul, he has the same opinion when he's wrapping up his condemnation of salvation by law-keeping in Galatians, telling them to stand firm in resisting that way of being at proper rest and yoked to God. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's not rest. Now, the other popular way, especially today, to avoid rest, to instead labor and become heavy laden, is to simply float or swim in the river of sin the world provides. It's currently deep and wide we are well along in our culture's future as the pagan temple at Corinth in Greece, rather than a shining light on a hill. Man's sinful nature and the devil have turned things fully upside down. So the rest Jesus offers, foregoing laboring on in sin with its ever-increasing heavy burden, seems like no rest at all, even as one Laboring in sin increases the burden as more and more is consumed. One sees the offer of rest, of repentance, of salvation, of a changed life as too much. Right before them is the offer of a free gift of life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Why no interest? Because of verse 29. First, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, I'm listening. My life needs help, but I do like my sin. Then the requirement for this rest 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And those who are modern and autonomous, each having his own guiding truth, deciding his life and future and plans, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, a yoke would sideline all of that. If we each do our own thing, have our own truth, if we are so advanced that we can even decide whether we are a man or a woman and change it, should we desire, then being yoked to someone or something else would wreck my autonomy. And we are talking about Jesus here. One must be yoked with him who requires me to come into the light, to come to Jesus, to have faith. He is the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved, saved from the damnation which is ours for laboring in our sin against God. John tells us why the yoke looks unpleasant to most. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So that kind of yoke doesn't look restful at all to the unconverted laboring sinner. Now, Let's say something more about the contrast within these verses. The key words are rest and yoke. At first read, they seem like opposites. Even in the crudest form of imagination, one pictures a resting ox laying comfortably, chewing some cud, and another of that same ox now with his yoke firmly on him, struggling as he plows the field in the heat with the master behind pressuring him on. And so imagine those living peacefully and being a good person to make them acceptable to God or just ignoring him and living however the flesh directs and then introduce the idea of a yoke one must take on. As we said, not just any yoke, but yoke to another who will teach you the one truth, the one way to live and cancel that autonomy we mentioned to follow your flesh at will. Conclusion, do not bring a yoke anywhere near me. I am yokeless now and forever. Instead of you shall have no other gods before me, it's I shall have no yokes upon me. But no, actually not possible. Paul shows us the reality about yokes when he goes to Athens and sees the city is full of idols. They could choose from various yokes to come under, follow, trust in, believe in, and importantly, obey. And of course, lacking the desire for any of the many idols with names to be yoked to, these men of Athens had one for the unknown God, but it could also have been described as an unknown yoke available to any who would put it on. 
And all will put on a yoke of some type in this life. Are there any yokeless persons? Paul tells us the universal yoking for those who have not entered Jesus' rest, the unconverted. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, of course, law-keeping legalism as a substitute for coming to rest in Jesus and taking his yoke, or that of enjoying what Paul calls a flood of debauchery or something like it, are far from the only things which beckon me away from the rest and yoke of Jesus. There are endless attractions of the modern world to flee to rather than Christ, obviously. Sports is a big one. Lots of games on the flat screen right now. Games going on here and there this morning instead of church. Even a few farmer's markets to stroll through going on as we speak. The list is endless. The devil uses any and all means, however simple, to draw many to what he calls rest, his yoke of a Christless life. But then there is the but, the but which counters his shiny, alluring plans for your life. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And by his mercy, we who were his enemies and made alive to him say, yes, I hear his call. I want his rest. Yes, I'm heavy laden. Give me that yoke. I want to be pardoned, redeemed, forgiven. I want to enter his rest by taking his yoke. But should I? Jesus promises in verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but what is it? This passage causes careful thought when it's considered in its entirety it speaks to a weary, burdened person who needs rest, and that sounds great. I, I like resting, and I'm weary in many ways, but that yoke, as noted, that's the thing they put around oxen before they go out to hard labor in the fields. How could it be restful? What is this rest? Yes, it's becoming a believer. It's the end of trying to save yourself by doing good works to counter your bad. It's Jesus seeing you, seizing you and teaching you, empowering you not to respond to that prison bell which rings, telling you to return to your cell to do that sin once again. But what a future from Hebrews. He frees those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives because the fear of judgment has been removed by his bloody sacrifice upon the cross. 
God's wrath for you on his son instead. And we have faith in him, which is the essence of his rest. But then the yoke. Shall I wear it as I lay on the couch in rest? Maybe a bit of that, but not really. His rest is much more glorious than that because as we enter his rest, we begin to partake in the greatest of all life adventures, glorifying our king, our creator, our only real future, capital F. Sound strange? Yes, to the unbeliever, that's why the yoke is no rest for them. And yet glorifying him in all our life is the rest we enter. We love this God we've never seen, we who are called. We've taken his yoke. And as the word of God taught us to come to Jesus and to find our soul rest, so the word tells us how to wear our new yoke. We come to know and trust his promises. We have new affections, desires for what he calls good. We can draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts cleaned from an evil conscience. We actually get a small taste of the final rest in heaven under his perfectly formed yoke one now wears. I hear his voice and follow him. I know as I trust and follow him, he will direct my steps. I know even though yoked to Christ, I will still be tempted in many ways, but I'm yoked with the one who was tempted in every way, yet was without any sin. Best of all, I know all things work for good. He's called me, he's yoked me, so it's a guarantee. Even if it seems unlikely in the moment, I won't waste my life if I'm serving him that's the rest of the yoke, loving and serving Christ and his church. But that verse 30, yoke is easy and burden is light, can be and is taught by many new to Christianity like this. Come to Jesus and he'll make your life better, such as your finances or relationships or vocations. In fact, come now. And you can have your best life right now that you've been planning but missing out on, and Jesus will give it. Well, actually it's true, he will, but very likely not the way you would plan it out for the rest you would imagine. That's not the yoke. So before taking on the yoke, consider the radical future you will have not just your vocation or schooling or marriage, but something much more important about the yoke you take on. Jesus, he describes his yoke. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus tells us we must enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Before the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. 
And Paul, he insists we must put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. We must flee all kinds of snares and traps and pursue, pursue a long list of virtues, starting with righteousness, fighting the good fight of faith. We have to strengthen weak knees, make straight paths to walk, not fail to obtain the grace of God, endure discipline, discipline the body and keep it under control. Oh, and we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, God working in you for his good pleasure. Of course, that includes fiery trials which come upon you to test you we are told, and it's not as though something strange is happening to you. Can we see why a person who's not saved by Jesus, been born again, been given a new nature by Christ, who actually reads what the yoke includes and says, nope, but there's more. Not just all that yoke work for your thoughts and actions before God as you abstain from the passions of the flesh, which waged war against your soul, even as the devil prowls around looking to devour you. Because if you decide to live under that yoke, Paul promises all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In fact, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And since the world hated Christ first, you'll know why the world hates you. Sounds like quite a burden to live in this world with that yoke. But you are not of this world, believer, because Jesus chose you out of the world. If one has truly entered his rest, been born again to new life in Christ, that person has new desires and loves this yoking and the rest gives. And when one gives up fighting God, abandons sinful ways, actually enters his rest and begins to learn from him, you're not walking alone. It's with many in the community of believers and Jesus leading the way, this life in Christ? Peter tells us, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies. Paul tells us, we will do all these by being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He said he worked harder than all, but it wasn't him. It was the grace of God with him. He sums it up perfectly. Those works, that life, which God prepared in advance, that one should walk in them. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. Now, something else to note about believers' rest 
in Christ. Note another important use of the Greek word translated as rest. The scriptures use the word refreshment for this word. How might that be relevant to us who have entered God's rest? At the Last Supper, all the disciples were reclining at table, resting with Jesus. All these who had been given rest by Jesus, taken his yoke, except for Judas, but were about to experience that yoke in a whole new way. But there was one who didn't just recline at table and rest that night. Jesus got up from resting on the couch replaced his outer garment with a towel, and washed the disciples' feet, wiping them with the towel. Shocking to them, Peter expresses it. You'll never wash my feet. But Jesus tells them, I'm your Lord and teacher. You're learning from me, so you do the same. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. When a person thinks of being yoked with Jesus, the image may be just them yoked with Jesus, plowing on together. But another image might be if we use our drone to hover over the field and we look down and notice all the others in the same field, all yoked to the same person, God himself. And as we go higher, we see it's not just us in the field, or 50 or 100, but it becomes thousands and then millions, all part of the Church of Jesus Christ of the current day saints. The word used as rest, which Jesus gives us, is first and foremost our new birth, our salvation. But that word rest in verse 28, I will give you rest, is used several other times in the New Testament in a different and very important refreshing way by Paul in Ephesus. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus, and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. And Paul in Macedonia, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. And Paul to Philemon, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So as believers, rest in Christ. We are each a critical part of that resting by refreshing each other as we are yoked to Christ. So who is this one who will surely do it, sanctifying us, keeping us blameless, being faithful to the end. 
We know he's got the power. He reaches down and grabs a sinner like me who has been laboring and is heavy laden. He saves me. I take his yoke, and now I can agree with Jesus. Yours is an easy yoke. Yours is the light burden. And why? Verse 29 tells us, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, gentle and humble in heart. This is one of the times Jesus tells us something about his inner self, this God-man, God who took on human nature. It seems in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he has painful inner turmoil, we get another glimpse. This Jesus we are being yoked to is the one who lived the ultimate humility, humbling himself, becoming a servant as Paul says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so he lived among us. These words in our passage let us know who we're agreeing to be yoked to should we enter his rest, one who is gentle and humble, lowly in heart. Yes, God is a consuming fire, Yes, he is fully just in damning guilty sinners to eternal hell. But when one enters his rest, they begin to, as Jesus says, learn from me, learn who he is and how to live in his rest with that yoke upon you. Be like Jesus. That's the rest he desires for us. If a man is drowning near death and he's going to be rescued, the one who saves him doesn't say, you dummy, get in the boat. No. He holds him and comforts him. They rejoice together in being saved. So Jesus, he is patient with you, not wanting you to perish. The heart of Jesus, calling those who are poor in spirit to the kingdom of heaven, comforting those who mourn, giving the inheritance of the earth to the meek, satisfying those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, coming into town to be tortured and crucified by the one he's come to save. And he is gentle, riding on a donkey, and he weeps over the city. He shows who he is by what he does among the people. He goes through all the cities, all the villages, teaching and proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease, every affliction. When the infants were brought to him for his touch, let the children come to me. Don't get in the way because to such belongs the kingdom of God. He teaches all who will listen. They search the scriptures, thinking in them they have eternal life. It is actually they which bear witness about Jesus. Come to him that they may have life. He who came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. And all he wants to do is pour out his life all the more. He's the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Not tired of them, not weary. He's resting in his Father's will, ready to yoke many, many more. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And his compassion has a goal 
Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The Spirit of the Lord God is on him, the one who was anointed to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, captives to self-justification, and prisoners to unbelief and sin. And so, he's not offended when he hears the Pharisees say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Because he's going to be doing that a lot for a very long time. That's redeemed sinners like myself. Because, praise God, he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Like the woman caught in adultery, should she not be condemned by Jesus? But no, go and leave your life of sin. That's what Jesus says to those who enter his rest and take his yoke. That's learning from him. And he knows about you. He knows the lifelong battle under his yoke, knows our weaknesses and can sympathize because in every respect he was tempted to, yet without sinning ever. He's not wanting any of you to perish. Does anyone know more about perishing than Jesus? He speaks of eternal hell, explained it when he was here. The Old Testament speaks endlessly about horrible judgments which come upon the disobedient, and yet it's not entirely clear what the end result is for everyone. Jesus lives to teach about escaping the judgment of God, being forgiven before the Father in heaven. But as for the final end, he speaks very, very clearly about the final eternal horrors of judgment for unbelievers and disobedient, detailed and explicit. Jesus, he's waiting for you to take your perfectly designed yoke. He will bring you forgiven to his Father in heaven, and he knows what the Father in heaven is doing right now. He's waiting for those who are drowning to be rescued. Those who have rejected the Father, all the prodigals, he's waiting for each one. That's what the Father's doing right now. Constantly watching and waiting for you. How do we know it? But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden and he will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn for he is gentle and lowly in heart you will find rest for your souls, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the last part, easy and light, 
Sounds a bit odd with what we mentioned, striving to enter by the narrow door, a salvation with fear and trembling, fighting the fight of faith, continually denying oneself, carrying a daily cross, but in his rest, in Christ we are saved, redeemed by his blood, no longer slaves to sin, which leads to death, outfitted with the armor of God. And those are the things I tell people about the salvation he offers. But to be honest, I often feel I am greatly missing a very large part of describing what Jesus offers to unbelievers because I simply can't explain it properly with words. No language probably could, and that is this. In his rest, his salvation, this happens. You come to know him. Saying that right there, I fail to scratch the surface. To know him in your knower, living in each believer by his spirit, one with him. An odd mix. Me, a man still greatly tempted by sin, he, a man of perfection, gentle and humble in heart, with me every moment, yoked to the very one I was created to know and love and follow and obey, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's what I mean. It surpasses knowledge, this love of Christ. That is what I can't properly explain to an unbeliever. I can only say, please, please stop your laboring. Come to him, enter his rest, and know him. Your only hope, your only salvation, the one who is gentle and humble in heart. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Father, we thank you that you have made these lavish promises to us that are hard to even comprehend. The Son of God coming and being born in that manger and taking on human nature, living a life as we do, yet without sin and teaching the truths about how we may enter your rest and take your yoke, and showing yourself to be gentle and humble in heart, 
and yet being rejected by many, those you came to save, placing you under arrest and then sending you up to the hill to be nailed and crucified on the cross and bleed and die, all planned well in advance so that you may give us a salvation because the wrath that is due for us has been placed upon your son. And so God, please let all who hear today know your rest and take your yoke and know the one who is gentle and humble in heart.